Uh, my name is Andy, one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, before we jump into First Peter, I just want to say today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, and so <clears throat> I wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we jump into the letter of First Peter where we've been and talk about why Christians are pro-life. Why are we pro-life? Now, unfortunately, this has become a political issue in our nation. But what we see in the Bible is that it's not primarily a political issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue. And what we believe about uh, issues like abortion or being pro-life or, or whatever, what we believe about those things should come from what God's word teaches us, not from whatever party we affiliate with or whatever candidate we vote for, right? What we believe about these things should come from the Bible. And so uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Christians are pro-life because we believe that every single human being is created in the image of God. Every single human life is sacred and is a life worth saving. Every human being is a human worth loving, even if they don't agree with us, Christian or non-Christian, right? Uh, atheist or, or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Jew or, or whatever, whatever their spiritual religious beliefs are, they are human beings made in the image of God, right? Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, male or female, right? Healthy or sick, old or young, people uh, with special needs, right? Whatever it might be, we believe that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human life is sacred. Every human life is some, a life worth saving. Every human is a human worth loving. And so because we believe that, we are unapologetically pro-life. And when it comes to a, an issue like abortion, Really, at the end of the day, at the bottom of that issue, if you boil it all the way down through all of the arguments and all of the debates and all of the social media posts and all of the noise that the, the world puts out around that issue, if you boil it all the way down to the very bottom, it ultimately comes to the question of when does that baby become a human being? Because at whatever point that baby becomes a human being, then that is the point at which that baby is made in the image of God, a sacred life worth saving. Right? And so that's really at the heart of the question. And all of the other arguments and debates hinge on that question of when does the baby become a human being? So, for example, uh, one of the really common arguments in favor of abortion is what about cases of rape and incest? Those are terrible, terrible things, right? Let's take the same logic and apply it to a five-year-old child. What if a woman was raped and then uh, ha gives birth to a baby, raises that baby, that five years later, she says, you know what, for the last five years, every time I've seen my child, it's reminded me of that hor hor horrible incident in my life. It's just too painful. I want to take him to the doctor and have him put to death. Nobody would say that's okay. Not a single person would say, oh yeah, that's fine. Right? Why? Because that five-year-old is a human being, a sacred life worth saving, right? Uh, that's That's... We've got to get past all of those other arguments and get down to when does the child, the baby, become a human? Because that's the point at which the baby is somebody made in the image of God, so sacred life worth saving. Um, you think about uh, what's the difference between a five-year-old and a two-year-old and a one-year-old and a six-month-old? 
Is it logical to say, uh, well, this baby has just been delivered five minutes ago. Therefore, if the doctor comes up and kills it, the doctor is guilty of murder. But five minutes earlier and six inches over in the womb, it wasn't a human being yet. What changed? Six inches of space and five minutes of time. That's it, right? Or or it doesn't make any sense. When you think of the words like fetus, infant, toddler, juvenile, adolescent, adult, and senior, you think of words like that, these words do not describe different creatures. They describe different stages of life in the human life stage cycle, right? That's what they do. That's what they describe. So a fetus is not a non-human entity. It is a human fetus. A toddler is not a non-human entity. It's a human toddler. An infant is a human infant. A senior is a human senior. That's what humans are. And so as Christians, we believe every human life is sacred, and we believe that human life begins at the moment it is conceived. That's the moment it has its own unique DNA. It will develop its own unique uh, brain, its organs, tissues, its own complete body, all of that happening inside the womb. And so I'm not telling you what to do with your politics. I'm just explaining on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is why Christians are unapologetically pro-life Because every life, every human life, is a life made in the image of God and a life worth loving and a life worth saving. Um, Okay, let's get into the letter of 1 Peter. And I will say, uh, just kind of up front, um, this week was a super crazy busy week. We had Gretchen's uh, Celebration of Life service on Monday, and then Corinne's grandmother had passed away. So we drove to uh, Central Illinois and uh, did her, had her funeral on Friday. We got back last night. So <clears throat> I, last service was the first, was my practice run. <laughs> so this is only the second time uh, I've preached this passage. Uh, so um, today, yeah, you, you, it's not much practice. So you kind of get the raw, unfiltered version. Um, but let's read, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. This is one glorious run-on sentence in the Greek, in the original Greek text, all 12 verses are one sentence. So Peter would have not passed seventh grade uh, ELA, but he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. So we're going to learn from it. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We've been working our way into the letter of 1 Peter, and it's all about how we are called by God to live as exiles, to be different from everyone else around us. Uh, I thought I would kind of illustrate that by telling you this little story. When I was a kid, a teenager, I wanted to get a tattoo. It was super popular in, in our little rural Missouri high school. To get a tattoo, it was kind of like, Marking your own stamp, you know, setting yourself apart. Uh, you put your own mark on your, on your body or whatever. And I went home and I told my dad, I want to get a tattoo. And my dad said, why? And I said, well, because I'm not like everybody else and I want to be different and unique. And he said, well, do the other kids get tattoos? And I said, yeah, all of my friends. And he said, so let me get this straight. You want to be different from everybody else by doing what everybody else is doing. And I thought, well, you know, when you put it that way, maybe, I don't know, it doesn't make quite sense, right? You know how everybody else is living without hope? Hopelessness is an epidemic in our world today. Without hope. Somebody shared a story published this week in the Wisconsin State Journal with me, and I just wanted to share a few highlights from that story with you. Mental health ER visits among children have nearly tripled at UW Health in the past decade. Mental health ER visits among children have almost tripled over the last 10 years at UW Health. Many of those visits involve suicidal thoughts along with drug or alcohol intoxication or overdose. Among kids, tripled, right? Throughout Wisconsin, 34% of high school students say they feel sad and hopeless almost every day. 34% throughout our state. That's a 10% increase over the last 10 years. Every single day. In our neighboring state of Illinois, hospital ER visits related to suicide increased 59% from 2016 to 2021. A 59% increase in a five-year period. And the most shocking statistic to me was that suicide is the second leading cause of death among children ages 10 to 14. Second leading cause. When I was 10, the second leading cause of death was tripping and falling down the stairs. Today, it's suicide for 10-year-olds. We live in a world that has absolutely no hope. And as Christians, we are called to live differently. When I was reading that story, I thought to myself, I don't want to live the same way the world lives because I don't want to have the same results the world has. I don't want my kids to hit high school and feel sad and hopeless every single day. I have a 10-year-old son. I don't want him to have suicidal thoughts, right? So at, at some point, we have to live differently. We can't live just like everybody else lives and do just what everybody else does and expect somehow to have a different result. That's insanity, right? We can't do that. So we've been called as Christians, we've been chosen by God to live different lives. That's what we talked about last week. We're elect exiles. God chose us. He set us apart for himself so that we could become like Jesus. And when we live in obedience to Christ, it makes our lives qualitatively different from the lives of the world around us. And one of those differences is that we have hope. 
a living hope. We've been called by God to live with hope. And that's what the verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning are about. And so we're going to talk about three things, the reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. I don't usually do alliteration, but it, it worked out for this one. The reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. So first of all, the reason for our hope is that we have been born again. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this hope because we have been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. See, the world's hope is nothing more than a dying wish. I don't see anything good happening. The world's going to burn up. Climate change, the global economy is going to crash. Everything, supply chain shortage issues, food shortage issues, overpopulation issues, global pandemics. Ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No hope. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I, I hope it's okay. That's wishful thinking. That's a dying wish. But that's not Christian hope. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking, it is confident expectation and it is based on the reality of the resurrection of Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a story in a children's storybook Bible. It's a real historical event that actually happened and has an effect on our lives today 2,000 years later. It gives us a living hope that not even death itself can overcome. It's a living hope. We've been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. We've been born again into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future. The inheritance that we have, that we've been born into, is secure. Peter says it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. Right? It, we can, it is absolutely certain. It's not an uncertain future. The people in the world today don't have much hope because they put their hope in perishing, defiled, and fading things, like politicians, like winning the next election cycle, like Supreme Court decisions. If only we could get this, then everything would be fixed. And it doesn't work. It doesn't last. It's perishing. It's fading. It's defiled. We put our hope in career success. I'll get the job of my dreams. We put our hope in getting a scholarship for college or our kids getting a scholarship for college. We put our hope in finding that special someone that completes me because I'm not a whole human being unless I'm sleeping with someone. We put our hope in all of these things that never quite pan out because they're perishing, they're fading, they're defiled, they're not permanent, they're not secure. The, The economy goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down and every time the stock market crashes, suicides go up because we're hoping in things that are temporary and passing away. But Christians have a secure inheritance. We have a certain future. Our inheritance is being kept in heaven by God himself. And in fact, he is guarding us through faith. We've been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish, into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future. And we've been born again into a coming salvation, not a zombie apocalypse. The world doesn't see anything coming except a dystopian future. 
That's why so many movies and and books are all about the the post-apocalyptic dystopian world. Why? Because that's how everybody feels about the future. Nothing good is going to happen. We're going to run out of food. We're we're all going to get sick. Everybody's going to die. The the planet's going to burn up. The sun's going to go out. You know, the universe is going to collapse in on itself. It's no wonder kids don't have any hope. That's what we've been telling them their entire lives. But Christians say, no, 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 we're not headed for a dystopian future. We're not headed for a zombie apocalypse. We have a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to be rescued from that. We're going to live with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. That's the reason that we have hope. Uh, Some of you might be sitting here this morning. You might say, I don't have that kind of hope. And my question, my first question to you is, have you been born again? That living hope is something that you have to be born again into. You, you can't get it by just trying real hard. That's not how it works. Have you been born again? Maybe you've, maybe you've come to church for a long time. Maybe you know all the answers to all the questions. But you've never really made the decision to transfer ownership of your life from self to Christ. No, I, I, I'm keeping my own life. I'm going to do church, do the Christian thing, yeah. Well, if you, if you don't have that living hope... Maybe it's because you haven't been born again. And if you want that hope and if you want to be born again, all you have to do is is say, okay, I don't belong to myself anymore. I now give my life to Christ. I give myself to Jesus. I belong to him now. And when you make that decision, you are born again into a living hope, a secure inheritance, and a coming salvation. Some of you might be here and you might say, well, I I have made that decision. I, I have been born again but I'm still struggling to find hope. I relate to you. The beginning of 2023 has been a really hard year for us already. Losing two close loved ones is not a great way to start out the first month of the year, right? And sometimes hope seems slippery and elusive, but usually when, I, when I'm struggling with hope, one of the questions that I need to ask myself is, am I living out of my born-again identity in Christ? Or are, are, are there areas in my life when I've forgotten who I am? Because when I'm struggling to find hope, sometimes that is an indicator that in some area of my life, I'm going back to my old self. And I'm living out of that identity instead of being who I am in Christ. And that identity piece is so important. That's why Peter started his letter by talking about who we are. We are elect exiles. We have been chosen by God's perfect knowledge, sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit so that we could become like Jesus. We have been born again into a living hope, into a secure inheritance, and into a coming salvation. That's who we are. And Peter says, now go be who you are. Live out of that identity. That is the the reason for our hope, that we have been born again. Number two, the result of our hope is great joy even in trials. See, verse six says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I want to clarify something. The trials that he's talking about there are not just general suffering in the world. Like, oh, uh, uh, my house burned down, or, or I got diagnosed with cancer, or I'm living with chronic pain, or I lost a loved one. 
or a natural disaster happened and our, and our whole neighborhood was flooded. Those, that is real legitimate suffering. That's not exactly the suffering that Peter's talking about here. What he's talking about is suffering because of our faith in Jesus. He's talking about facing pressure and uh, exclusion and being shunned or being exiled because we're Christians. We face a lot of peer pressure in our society to abandon our Christian faith, to reject our Christian values. You believe what about marriage? Oh, what do you believe about women's health care? Oh, you know, we, we, have, we're, we face a lot of pressure to walk away from what the Bible teaches us about human flourishing and about God's plan and will for his people. And when we are obedient to Christ, we face opposition because of our faith in Jesus. That's the kind of trial that Peter is talking about here in the letter of 1 Peter, suffering because of our faith in Christ. Now the question is, why does God allow his people to face that kind of suffering? Why does he allow us to go through that persecution? Verse 7 answers that question. It says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, when we, when we face opposition because of our faith in Jesus, it reveals the proven character of our faith. It's so easy to follow Jesus when there's no social cost. Anybody can do that. You just jump in line and go right along with the social flow. Yeah, I go to church. That's what good people do. Right? It's a lot harder to follow Christ when it costs you something when it costs you your reputation. Only someone who has genuine faith in Jesus will continue to live in obedience to Christ and be made fun of on social media and have their, maybe have their job put at risk and be excluded by their family members or their neighbors or their friends, right? It takes true faith in Christ to endure that kind of trial. When there's a social cost, it's not so easy. My brother-in-law said uh, to me recently, he said, when we were kids, all our parents had to do was take us to church. That was it. But he said, with our kids, we have to teach them to be Christians in a world that is starting to hate Christians. It's not just as easy as just teach them to go to church. No, we've got to teach them to be Christians in, in school where they're going to be made fun of for their faith. We, we have to teach them to be Christians at college where they're going to be made fun of for their faith. Right? That's a, that's a whole lot harder to do. 50, 60 years ago, that's, that wasn't the case. Right? It's easy to follow Christ when there's no social cost, but when we face these trials, it reveals the genuine faith, the, the, the proven character of our faith, and that genuine faith is refined by the testing and becomes one of God's masterpieces. Look, look at, at the, the last half of verse 7. It says, The test of genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's what he's talking about. When Christ returns, he is going to be bringing with him praise and glory and honor for you. For you. We often think about when Christ returns, everybody's going to fall down and worship him, and we will. But he is going to praise and glorify and honor you because of the proven character of your faith. 
See, he puts your faith in the, in the fire and refines it and purifies it. He's making a masterpiece. And when Christ returns, he's going to unveil the masterpiece that he has created in you. And he's going to say, look at the beautiful things that I have created. And everybody will say, wow. Jesus is going to praise and glorify and honor us because of our faith in him. That is the source of our joy. That is the result of our hope in Christ. That's why Peter wrote in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is the kind of savior we have, right? Though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You can also translate that trust in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We serve a God who wants to celebrate what he's doing in us. And when he returns, our joy will be complete because he will bring praise and glory and honor for those of us with true refined faith in him. So we, the, we have the reason for our hope. Uh, we have the result of our hope. Let's close with the responsibility of our hope. We've been given a priceless gift. Verse 10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, we're short on time, so let me summarize this point this way. Concerning this salvation that we have, concerning this living hope that we've been born again into, our faith in Jesus Christ, concerning these things, Prophets long to see it. Angels long to see it. God gave it to us. We have been given a priceless gift. For thousands of years, prophets looked and searched and prayed and asked and longed and sought and, and, and wanted to see it. Angels looked into it, but they didn't see it. God gave it to us. Salvation in Christ has been given to us as a gift, born again into a living hope. What will we do with this gift? What are we going to do with that? Right, that's exactly where Peter's headed in the letter. The, the first word of the next verse is, therefore, therefore, because you've been given this priceless gift, and I'm not going to get into that because that's next week, right? but I want to leave it there. What are we going to do with this hope, this, with this salvation, with this born-again identity in Christ. What are we going to do with that? I want us to reflect for a few moments. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. I want us to sit for a few moments in quiet reflection and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this living hope that you've given me in Christ? And I've put some questions up here that will sort of guide our thought process, guide our reflection. Have you been born again? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's your step this morning is to transfer ownership from yourself to Christ. Uh, are you living out of your born-again identity in Christ? Ask the Lord, where, where am I forgetting who I am? Are you or is someone you know facing social pressure to hide, ignore, or reject your Christian faith in Jesus? 
You've been given a priceless gift in Christ. What will you do with it? Let's just reflect on these questions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you purchased our salvation and that when you return, what we will be will be fully revealed and completed. And I can't wait to hear the words from your mouth, well done, well done. That's all the praise that I need. I don't need followers on social media. I don't need my neighbors to think that I'm cool. I just need you to say well done. So Lord, we, we give this time, these next few moments to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word, through your spirit, stir in us what you would have us to do with the priceless gift that you've given to us. Amen.